Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Accused of a crime that you did not commit. Can you imagine it? The fear, the anger, the loss of control. I remember when I was in first grade and I got put in the corner during class because I was falsely accused of talking when I was not supposed to talk. And I was in tears in the corner of that room, and I still maintain my innocence to this day. True. Falsely accused. Falsely accused. This is obviously even a larger problem in this world, though. Uh, it, is, it is a large problem, uh, especially for many people's lives and, and, the, and families of those who are wrongly accused of crimes that they did not commit. In the United States alone, on average, right now, uh, there are on average three exonerations per week. And, and therefore, if there are three people being let out of prison through the legal system for crimes that they were charged with that they didn't commit, you can only imagine how many there probably are that are still in prison for crimes that they did not commit. But in a sense, this is what Job is feeling, uh, experiencing right now where we are in our section of Job in chapters 29 through 31. If you haven't been with us over the last two weeks, we have been spending our time in the book of Job, which is a book in the Old Testament. If you don't know how to find it, open your Bible to the middle. You'll probably land in Psalms. Go one book prior to that, and it's, that's where you find Job. Job is kind of difficult to read in English, and so we're trying to make sense of this. We're spending six weeks in the book of Job, and this is the third week. So if you've missed a Sunday, or if you will, I encourage you to stay uh, up to date with what we're doing here. All of our sermons are archived online, uh, video or audio for podcast, download, all those, all those things, uh, or on our church app, so you can, uh, you can stay up to date with that. Here's what we've learned about Job so far in the first two weeks, though. Job, according to worldly standards, was a righteous man, according to worldly standards, a righteous man, and he was allowed to suffer by God. And that suffering, uh, that suffering greatly afflicted him. He had 10 children, and all of them died. He had more wealth than most people in his entire region. He was well-known, and all of his wealth was wiped out. And on top of that, he was given a, a great physical affliction with a head-to-toe uh, skin disease that afflicted him greatly and put him in a great deal of misery. And to top it all off, his wife and three of his friends think that he is guilty and that he did something wrong, seriously wrong, to upset God, and that's why God is punishing him, they think. Job and his friends, his wife, they all have this worldview that physical affliction or, or, or the difficulties of this life, they think that those things are a direct result of one's sins. So if one sins, they think that it directly afflicts people. So when Job and, and, and his wife, or Job's friends and his wife are looking at Job, they are saying to him, Job, what have you done? Get honest, be real, just get it over with. But the thing that Job is wrestling with is that he maintains that he's innocent. Not that he's sinless, don't get me wrong, he's not claiming to be Jesus. But he says, if, if God so-called punishes us for our sins, 
which, by the way, Christians do not believe in. This was, a, this was something that they held. But this is what they're thinking. If God is punishing us for what we've done wrong, Job's saying, I'm, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything so great as the affliction that's on me. And so he's wrestling through this question. If God is just, if God is good, if God is God, and I haven't done anything to deserve this punishment, why am I being so greatly afflicted? What are you doing, God? The language that is used in the book of Job is one of legal imagery. Throughout the thing, it's, it's legal language. Last week, if you were here, in Job chapter 9, Job was begging and pleading for an arbiter, a, a mediator, a referee, an umpire to come and to uh, basically take Job and God to court together and, and to settle their dispute. And Job is saying, why isn't there somebody who can plead my case before God? So in a sense, you can imagine that this whole story is a courtroom scene, in a sense. You have Job, who has been accused of the crime. He's the defendant. He's, he's on death row, actually. He, he feels like death is imminent to him. His three friends have all taken the stand to testify, and they've testified against him. Job has nobody to speak on his behalf except for himself, and so he's been trying to talk to them, but now in this section where we are today, chapters 29 through 31, it is one last final plea of Job to stand up in the midst of these people and to give his case to tell them what it is that he is innocent of. And so 29 through 31, these chapters, these are the last time that Job speak at length in the book. He will pop up every once in a while later on, but this is the last time he's really going to plead his case. So if you've read this or if you haven't, in chapter 29, Job begins his final plea by reflecting back on his life. And as he's giving his final plea, his final testimony, he, he talks about how good his life was prior. And the thing that he longs for most is he said, there used to be a time when the friendship of God was upon me. When God was my friend, when he was close to me. He longs for this time, he paints this picture of all ten of his children being around him and things were good. He tells of how when he would enter into the city, when he would leave his farm and his fields and his wealth behind and he'd enter the city, how the nobles and the princes would be silent in his presence because he was so well-renowned. Not just in power, but actually in good deeds. He talks about how his reputation was earned because he cared for the poor. He took care of the widows and the orphaned. He welcomed in strangers and the outcasts and worked to silence unrighteousness. Job did all of these things. How good it was, he says. And then he even, he even tells of how in his former days when it was good, how he dreamt of, we'll call it his retirement, and how he dreamt of his retirement with these words, Then I thought I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My roots spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches. My glory fresh with me and my bow ever new in my hand. 
I thought if I was going to call this that Job's dreaming of his retirement, that it only makes sense to put a nice beach picture in the background, right? I mean, he's talking about trees and sand and water. It's only, it's only fitting. Actually, as a matter of fact, after this cold snap, let's just gaze at that picture for a minute. Can you just take, yeah, let's just, just, just soak it in. Come on, people, this is good stuff. How long do you want to do this? So, okay, that's, that's enough. Let's get back to reality. All right, cut that. All right. So here we go. Job, Job's just dreaming. He's dreaming of the past, how good things were, how, how much he looked forward to his retirement, to ending on a high note, to having his possessions be, be spread about. And then after that, after, after telling of the good things, he then goes point by point in these chapters, point by point, uh, refuting the, the accusations that have been made against him. His friends said, Job, you didn't take care of the poor. And so Job once again says, yes, I did. They said, Job, you didn't care for the widows, and he maintains that he did. They said, Job, you didn't help the sick, and so he shows them once again that he did. It's, it's courtroom drama. This is the stuff that's made for TV. People love this kind of stuff, right? There's no shortage of courtroom drama uh, shows on TV. And not only that, but in real life as well. Right? We are entertained by these kinds of stories and there's no shortage of them. Especially we are entertained when powerful people are indicted and accused of crimes. And this sort of stuff is in the news media right now if you're not paying attention. And we, we love to get sucked into these stories of powerful people falling. And, and I don't know if you've paid attention, at least in my experience, when I watch these powerful people fall, and, and get accused of crimes, most of the time, they plead innocent, right? They plead innocent. They're not going to plead. The only time they plead guilty is to try to get a plea bargain to speed up the process while at the same time maintaining, I never did a thing. It's, it's because of people like this that sometimes I look at Job, and I see him making his case, you know, and I go, I get a little skeptical. I'm a, I'm, I'm a natural skeptic, and I say, Job, I don't know. Really, man? Come on. I, I, I feel like I take the case of his friends sometimes saying, seriously? Seriously, you're going you're gonna to claim that you've got it all together that much? Right? But this man, Job, like I said, if this is a courtroom drama, he's a man that's on death row. Death is imminent for him. He feels it. Sometimes he even asks for it because it would be better. Now think about this. I would say, a man on his deathbed who so boldly and clearly maintains his innocence should probably be listened to, at least to be heard out. And this is what Job wants. This is what Job desires. He wants one final hearing before God. So far in all of this stuff, it's just been Job and his friends, Job and his friends, Job and his friends. Job wants God to show up. That's all he wants. Job is done making his case. He said everything he needs to say. He even says, if I'm found guilty, just heap the curses upon me. Give me more. I'll take it. And so Job finally says in, in verse 35, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. And then Job's words are essentially done after that. So if this is a legal thing, Job is signing off on his plea, right? Not guilty. Boom. Put it down on the table. God, where are you? We can learn a lot from Job's boldness to God. 
his honesty with God, his, his just outright uh, anger sometimes with God. I remember uh, growing up as a, as a kid, you know, hearing things about Job, um, and, and I just remember the thing that resonated with me um, at, in, in hearing about the book of Job, one of the lessons we can learn from Job is that it's okay to be angry with God. I remember hearing this. It's okay to be angry with God. The story of Job shows us it's okay to be angry with God. And I, and I remember wrestling with that, and I think I've wrestled with it throughout my whole life. Just from the standpoint of, I, I feel like in this world, um, we're, we're taught to approach uh, powerful people or people of authority kind of in meekness or, or um, in gentleness, and therefore we, we don't oftentimes speak to those in authority with the full gusto that we would want to. And so sometimes I feel like when we're talking to God, at least, maybe it's just me, but at least sometimes I'm talking to God and I, maybe I soften what I want to say to him. So I don't want to anger him. I don't want to offend him. And so, you know, I'll, I'll give him like 85%, but I'll hold back the rest just, just because. But what we learn from Job here is that, is that we watch Job just be fully honest, fully honest with God fully angry with God, fully frustrated with God, but never denying God. Never denying him. He never denies God. He allows God to be God. And, and therefore, I would say his boldness, his boldness with God is actually a result of his faith. Because if Job actually believes that God is God, why would he not be completely bold and honest with God? And I would say the same is true for us, right? If, if God is truly who he says he is, if he's fully powerful, fully almighty, fully in control, why would we not be 100% honest with God? This is called lamenting. I've talked about this before. Some of you may know this, but this is the biblical idea of what a lament is. To lament means to allow God to be God, but to bring to him your frustration with the way the world's going and, and his seeming inactivity sometimes. That is what it is to lament. The scriptures are full of laments. Job is a book of lament. The book of Psalms is filled with laments. There are, there are more types, or more, more lament psalms than there are any other type of psalms. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, which is lament. So if you want to learn how to lament, go and read that, right? So the thing that, that we learn from Job is that it's okay to lament. It's okay to lament. And the thing that Job is lamenting the most is that it feels like God has abandoned him. He says, there was this day when, when the friendship of God was upon me, when God was close to me, but now I feel like I'm alone. I feel like I'm abandoned. Where are you, God? All the other stuff, all the other stuff is simply a result of that loneliness, and it only makes it worse. And so if you ever feel abandoned by God, that is a perfect time to lament to him. Even Jesus shows us how to lament. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night when he's betrayed and about to be arrested, he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. Let not my will, but your will be done. But if I don't have to do this, I don't really want to. Dying on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22, where he says, My God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me? Where are you, God? Jesus says this. Jesus teaches us how to lament. And so, my friends, I tell you, it's okay. It's okay to be honest with your God, even in a form of lament. And I would tell you that lamenting to God is not a denial of your faith. Lamenting is an example of your faith. Lamenting to God is not a denial. Not a denial of your faith. It's an example of your faith. Just think of it, because if you didn't believe in God, if you, if you d- truly denied God and his existence, you wouldn't be talking to him, right? If you truly denied him, you wouldn't be talking to him. So if you're talking to him and you're being honest with him, you must actually believe that he is who he says he is. Job found himself in a courtroom scene, and Job pled innocent. He says here in verse 6, let me be weighed in a just balance, right? Let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. One more time, God, innocent. Do you see it, God? Job found himself in a courtroom scene and he pled innocent. Jesus found himself in a courtroom scene and he kept his mouth silent. His accusers heaped accusations upon him. And like a lamb led to the slaughter, he remained silent. Jesus said, nothing. Found innocent under Pontius Pilate, Jesus was still sentenced to death in order to calm the potential riots in the city. And it was that innocent death of Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice for our sins, that we have been weighed in a just balance. The death of Jesus Christ tipped the scales in our favor. Judgment fell on Jesus, death was given to him, and you and I are set free. Therefore, there's no guilt to be heaped upon you for your sin. The accusations of Satan are powerless. The threats of death mean nothing because your future is set and it is secure. Job dreamt of a future prosperity by the sea. He dreamt of a good end to his life. He dreamt of a future prosperity. You have a future prosperity that is set in stone. God has promised to you an eternity that is free from pain, free from suffering. Every tear will be wiped away. Grief and mourning will be gone. All sin and sickness, Satan and death will be no more, for all you will have is perfect, new, whole life promised to all of you who believe in him. What a good future it's promised to you because of Jesus. For now, though, as we're reading through this story of Job, for now, for now, in Job verse, or chapter 31, Job has signed his name to his not guilty plea, and all that's left is for God to show up to make a decision. But we're going to have to wait for two weeks for that. God's going to leave us hanging. You know, courtroom dramas, we got we to do this. So next week, I pray that you join us back. We will cover chapters 32 through 37. And if you're able, I encourage you to read that ahead. In chapters 32 through 37, we're going to meet another character, one more guy named Elihu. Elihu is a guy who supposedly has been watching this whole debate between Job and his friends. He's remained silent the whole time, but now he feels it right to stand up and say something about what he's seen and his opinion about this whole thing. So I pray that you come back next week. But for now, for now, as you go, go knowing that you are set free 
you're set free. Go in peace. You are set free. And if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. Go in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.